2: so Ikea makes storage affordable.
1: To get the Crime Writers on After Show right now, go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media.
3: I'm Rebecca Lavoie and this is Crime Writers On, the original true crime review podcast that digs in a true crime, pop culture, other podcasts. And this week, Netflix reintroduces us to the big cats living in captivity and the shady people who love them. We'll discuss the much buzzed about series Tiger King. Join me to get that done and more is my real life husband and true crime co-author, former TV journalist and social distancing exception, the non-mulleted but heavily bearded Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Hey, y'all. Also with us is journalist, true crime author, former defense investigator, licensed private investigator, and certified cat lady, Lara Bricker. Hello, Lara.
2: Hello. I would like to clarify, I'm a regular, small, domestic
3: cat lady, not the type <laughs> we're uh, talking about tonight. <laughs> I am not to that level yet, people. No, but you are a horse person, and I have a strong case to make that they're not that far from horse people in this documentary. No,
2: they're not.
3: They're not, which is kind of why I, I also abandon the horse people, so I can, I can say something things, And finally with us is our captain of woke cynicism, the author behind the noir novels known as the City Trilogy, our Patreon book club host, and future podcasting star, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. Hello, Rebecca. Well, we do have to talk about why I just called you a future podcasting star. Toby, drumroll, please. Toby Ball. Why are you a future podcasting star? It is time for your big moment.
0: Uh, well, you guys might remember about two years ago, I was talking about doing this UFO podcast. Yes. Well, it's finally dropping. Uh, if you're listening to this uh, episode, the day it comes out, it's dropping tomorrow. Yay! Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's called Strange Arrivals, and it's going to be put out by uh, iHeart. And Grim and Mild, which is Aaron Mankey's company.
3: Oh, name dropping. It's like an anvil on my foot right now, Toby.
0: <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> I'm not going to I'm not going to downsell it. Uh, I'm, I'm actually really excited about it. It's about the abduction by a UFO of a uh, couple from Portsmouth, New Hampshire in 1961. Wait, wait, wait! The White Mountains. Did you just say
3: abduction and not alleged abduction?
0: Well, it's you know, I I feel as though whenever you say alien abduction, there are should be some scare quotes around it. (laughs) Uh, So I felt like that was kind of implied, but it's it's a super interesting story. It's a combination of talking about what you know their story of what happened. Uh, There's a lot of archival tape of them talking about it at various times, uh, including while under hypnosis. And then there's a lot of talking to, you know, experts and scientists and skeptics about what they, how they would explain what happened, because nobody really thinks that they're just flat out lying. They're not,
3: Toby. They're not lying. I believe.
0: I believe, Toby. Hey, Toby, we happen to have a clip. Shall we listen? That would be awesome.
1: We saw the object off in a great distance. It appeared to be winking, but now that it was close, it looked as if there was just one solid band of light. And this was moving backwards.
0: This is Barney, interviewed by Harv Morgan for the Cleveland-based radio show, Contact, on October 5th, 1964, three years after the fact.
1: And I had slowed the car down to approximately five miles an hour. Well, this was very upsetting. So I came to a complete stop in the center of the highway. I got out of the car and I took the binoculars. I rest my left arm on the door that was open at the car door and my right elbow on the roof of the car. And I tried to look, but the car was motor was running, so I had to step away. Uh, As I stepped away from the car, the object swung from the passenger side over to the left, which would have been the side that I was driving, making a large arc-like turn, placing it over a field.
0: Barney was transfixed by the ship. He walked away from the car and into the field to a point where he was just below the craft.
1: There was absolutely no sound associated with this object. It must have at the time been approximately a 100 feet up or above my head. This would be about 10 stories up. Uh, The size of it was about, oh, approximately, uh, uh, if you were looking at a large uh, military plane or at any commercial airliner from tail to head, uh, this is the size of it as the series of windows were around it. This is how huge it was. All right. It's this awesome. is very right. exciting.
3: This is like, I've seen this thing go from idea to partial project to fully grown project I'm very excited about it congratulations Toby this is a very big deal for you and maybe you'll become super famous and you can tell people to listen to our stupid podcast what do you think
0: <laughs> yeah maybe I don't know but uh, also thanks to Rebecca for sort of the this whole thing kind of came from a conversation that she had with Aaron at uh, Pod X
3: <laughs> you mean like when I walked up to him and I was like do you want a podcast about a UFO for your network <laughs> if you listen
0: to it and you hate it it's my fault. you can just send that hate mail to Rebecca
3: let's talk about that origin story in the after show and we'll also talk about whether or not we believe in UFOs. Can we do that?
0: Sure. We can definitely do that. Check it out. It's Strange Arrivals Tuesday, March 31st. Uh, The first episode drops on all your podcast apps.
3: Oh my god, the best outtake ever would be Toby like he's like completely unable to like promote himself. <laughs> like he's just <laughs> so bad at it. I would be like <laughs> I'm promoting Toby. I'm writing a story on Toby Can't next, wait. Week. Can't, right. next week. Can't wait. I'm so excited. Yeah. All right. So, Kevin, uh, before we start the show, one other little bit of business. We've got a lot going on on Patreon right now, including today's after show, which includes whether or not we believe in UFOs, a new episode of Mary With Podcast, plus a brand new episode of Laura Bricker's Leave it to Bricker Podcast, right?
4: Yes, all that's coming up.
3: It's on Patreon. Plus, if you are a member of our Facebook group or you even like our Facebook page at the Crime Writers on Podcast Facebook page, you can check out the many live videos we're doing right now. We've basically turned our podcast into also a Facebook talk show. So come on over to our Facebook page at Crime Writers On or join our Facebook group at Crime Writers On Podcast. Let's discuss and you'll be able to check out all the live content we're putting out right now. It's pretty exciting. Now, because we're super podunk and we're actually recording in a basement, Kevin's going to go turn off our furnace, which we forgot to do before we started oh, recording. Oh, the
2: train's coming by my house,
3: too. <laughs> the train. How is the train still going? How How is is the train is so atmospheric. Going? I always feel like you're Bill Rankin whenever the train goes by.
0: Speaking of Bill Rankin, he's going to be on the deep dive in a couple of weeks.
3: Can't wait. Ah, all right. Are you guys ready to record a podcast?
1: Do it. Meow. There's not every day a zookeeper went to prison for murder for hire. He, he wasn't real. He was like a mythical character living out in the middle of Oklahoma.
3: What do you carry that gun for? People. Well, hello, cats and kittens. <laughs> it's time. You'll remember that from Wondery's podcast, Joe Exotic. Netflix's new series, Tiger King, expands that circle of characters in the world of big cats and roadside zoos. Front and center remains Joe Exotic Schrievogel, the maybe country music singing, web show would-be reality star, zoo owner, and constant center of attention.
1: People, every day, they're like, you must have the most incredible life to, to live with 187 big cats.
3: We also meet Tiger Trainer to Hollywood, Doc Antle, whose zoo is run by a virtual harem slash cult. There's former drug kingpin Mario and his private menagerie of dubious origins. And there's sugar daddy, Jeff Lowe, who finances Joe's park so he can bring tiger cubs to Las Vegas and seduce women. For, I guess, like a really beautiful woman to get her picture with a cute little dangerous animal, it's like, oh, she's got a little spunk in her too.
4: Little pussy gets you a lot of pussy. There you go.
3: And then, of course, there's Carol Baskin, the owner of a big cat sanctuary whose mission is to end private breeding and the ownership of big cats and private zoos. Her advocacy stokes Joe's self-destructive grudge and endangers her own life. I really believe in life that you can only be good at one thing. He's gonna get nasty with me. (laughs) With saving the cats, it's
2: one thing that I can fix if I can just stay focused on that.
3: Tiger King explores the shady world of big cat trade, but focuses primarily on the bigger than life personalities which make up, in the famous words of Toby Ball, a feud within a subculture. Now we will be giving spoiler reviews for Tiger King, so to stay spoiler-free, check out the time code in our show notes for our thumbs-up or thumbs-down review. All right, well, the first question I want to ask is this. We reviewed the Wondery podcast, Joe Exotic, not that long ago. It was like within the last calendar year, right?
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Does the documentary Tiger King enhance the podcast experience, or is it the same, or is it does it diminish it? I have my opinion about it. I'm curious about yours, Kevin. Go ahead.
4: Again, I'm always loath to compare one piece of art to another, even if it's the same topic, you know, the book to the movie and the documentary to the podcast. But I will say uh, it was good that we listened to the podcast first because this is a good starting point for the characters that we're going to meet. So while the story in and of itself from beginning to end is not a surprise to us because we did listen to the podcast It's much more detailed and there are more people involved and you get a broader swath of who's involved, and the things that they're doing. And certainly, to be able to see the characters as opposed to just listen to them, I think brings it alive.
3: Not just the characters, but the scenes. Lara Bricker, what did you think of actually seeing Joe Exotic, his band of merry, sad zoo men? Misfits. (laughs) Uh, A new character, Doc Antle, who was not in the podcast. All the new characters we meet in this. The the Bogwan. And just seeing (laughs) this whole scene, is it not completely extraordinary?
2: Yeah, it it kind of takes it to a whole different level because when you listen to this, you're like, okay, this story is really bonkers, but you actually really have to see these people in person to really understand just how freaking bonkers this is. I mean, we've got... Joe, who appears in many different outfits and shiny shirts and music videos, we've got the meth mouth husband with all the tattoos who apparently never puts a shirt on. Never. this Entire documentary. Never ever um, ever. We've got the one arm person sitting in a trash heap. We've got the long haired <laughs> zookeeper who like passes out in the middle of one of the interviews while there's like a bottle of vodka in the background. Um, we've got Carol in her house with all the cat theme print I mean like you just cannot believe this stuff when you see it I mean no amount of describing it in an audio version can compare to seeing these people in person I think
3: it's true and I, I just want to throw something out there that I think is important for viewers to understand and listeners of this podcast to understand and maybe the three of you to understand that I didn't know about uh, when I was watching the documentary I did interview Eric Good and Rebecca Chaiklin who are the co director of the documentary for the Netflix podcast, You Can't Make This Up. Mm -hmm. And what I didn't realize was they filmed nonstop for five years. They were like, this is a real time story that Eric basically is the one who was always interested in this community. He um, has a collection of like tortoises, he's into reptiles, and he's the one who went to that. Um, show and saw the big cat in the van that opens the documentary. That's him. And I talked to him and I talked to Rebecca. I talked to them separately and the Netflix kind of stitched them together for the podcast. But what I didn't realize was that this was such a long enterprise. And Rebecca told me basically like they could have filmed forever there were tons of people they spoke to who were not in the documentary, like Siegfried from Siegfried and Roy, Tippi Hedren, the Alfred Hitchcock, the bird star who now runs one of these tiger sanctuaries. Mm-hmm. And basically, like, just the breadth and width of these characters and five years, five years of spending time in this story. I kind of feel like it. Sh- it shows because there are some choices that I'm not sure would have been made if it hadn't been five years. Toby, do you just want to give your like first impressions of some of those choices that you have questions about?
0: Yeah, well, I without picking individual scenes or whatever, I I do think there's, and I think this is one of the big differences between this and the podcast is that in the end, I think this is a a, a fairly pro Joe exotic series, you know, and I and I think it's that way in a sort of sophisticated way in that it it concedes a whole lot of things but in the end i think it, it it minimizes some of his destructive tendencies and you know at least hints at the fact that he may have been set up so once i didn't know this beforehand but when you said that they'd spent you know 5 years pretty much nonstop filming him like that that makes sense to me because you know he clearly As strange as he is, you know, he's got a great deal of charisma, you know, and a lot of magnetism. He's got all these people who seem to have this sort of mixed, like, realizing he's very odd and, like, kind of sketchy in some ways, but also seem very devoted to him mm. and and care about him.
3: You mean like a cult, Toby?
0: Yeah, maybe a little bit. And, uh, I mean, I think Joe would certainly hope so. And it seems like the filmmakers buy into that a little bit more than I think is useful for making, like, a, a, a like really... Uh, sort of objective documentary about the real sort of relationships and amount of culpability in these different feuds and scams and just sketchy doings, if that makes sense.
3: It does make sense. Now, Kevin, I'm curious, you know, Joe himself is a very complicated guy in some ways. In some Mm -hmm. ways, he's very simple. He's an extreme narcissist. Nobody who like knows him that I've spoken with or dealt with like disagrees with that, including the two filmmakers who also have more empathy for him than I probably do, given Mm -hmm. his extreme mistreatment of animals, which I don't think it would be fair to mischaracterize like to me, like one of the pivotal scenes in it is as much as I hate Doc Antle. Doc talks about it taking $10,000 a year to feed a tiger. And Joe's yeah. like, I can do it in three. And I'm like, <laughs> that's not fucking okay. It's not. It's not okay to feed animals food from a garbage, garbage how, truck. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but he is a, he's a complicated character and that can't be denied, right?
4: No, no, no. They can't be denied. No.
3: What do you think of Joe? Like, do you find yourself at all empathizing with him? Or do you just see him as a cartoon, which I think is the way the documentary also portrays him on the flip side?
4: Yeah. I mean, that's a great question. I mean, I I think that- Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I think I didn't really have any sympathy for him until towards the end in two spots where as soon as Jeff Lowe comes along, it changes the way we look at Joe.
3: And steals his dream. You mean Jeff stealing his zoo?
4: Well, I mean, when you look at, it, I mean, Joe is in, in in this legal battle with Carol, and he's losing and losing and losing, and he's certainly more and more desperate, and you see that. And then someone's going to throw him a financial lifeline. He makes this Faustian deal, yeah, with Jeff Lowe, and just like any deal with Faustus, is you know he's he ends up losing part of his soul, yeah, to him. That's the park. And so to that extent, like, oh, it ends up triangulating the emotional terrain for the viewer. Certainly, you know, we see Joe as being bad to Carol. Then we see Jeff being bad to Joe.
3: Mm. No, I don't disagree with that. I think there's many, many layers here of who's the worst. And, uh, Lara, I'd love your take on that because I heard you speaking up when I talked about Joe's... I mean, he can say he loves animals all he wants, but the whole tiger cub bedding business is horrible. I think the documentary does make a good case for that. And, you know, he very likely, you know, shot some tigers and buried them, but also just the starvation of the animals and lean times, the mistreatment of people. Uh, The director of the documentary told me that in addition to routinely hiring, you know, recent... Parolees or people who were released from prison because he knew he could get them to work cheap And he loved having this sort of misfit people with nowhere else to go around him He would also hire some people from the sex offender registry because he knew they didn't have anywhere else to go Like joe is and I mean, I say he's complicated, but you can't exactly call him good, right? No,
2: um I'm, I he's he's very damaged and on one hand i'm like, okay He's a person and he's very damaged the, part, the two parts in this that really tipped me over the edge where I was like, I have no more sympathy for him when the tiger was giving birth and he was commentating on, oh, she's giving birth, she's panting and all that stuff. And then he had the hook and he reached under and pulled the little baby tiger comes out before the mom had even like had a chance to even see them. Yeah, I almost lost it. I, I, I actually started crying. I couldn't even watch that part. And then at the end, um, when he had the two gorillas that had been living side by side in cages for like 10 years... And they hadn't been able to touch. And then they finally went to like a gorilla sanctuary and they got out there and they hugged. I was like, you are a fucking asshole. Yeah. You are a fucking asshole. I I just got so
3: angry. But he
4: realized that. I mean, I think that was one of the few moments of introspection. But
3: is that good? I mean, he would have done it forever, though, if he hadn't lost the zoo. Sure. 10 years? Yeah. That was I mean like oh, what the I, fuck why can't they be in the same well, fucking cage? I, I got so he's
2: angry. He's not Sorry,
4: Saul Kevin. on the road to Damascus. I'm just saying <laughs> when we when we have leaders and other people in our society who will never admit to any kind of mistake for him to at least say you know what I did I deprive them that of that for 10 years. Yeah, he probably did.
3: Did he also make At his employees out of a dumpster from oh, Walmart for I, 10 years? Oh
4: God, he's not a saint. I am not defending no. him. But I'm saying for that moment, it was important. Yeah.
2: Yeah. No, he's he's very damaged. But I will say that he is the, the cartoon character that you were talking about before, Rebecca. Um, can we please talk about his music videos?
3: I wake up. I go to work. But every
4: day I get someone trying to slam me down
3: back in the dirt. Yes. <laughs> I actually have something to say that I just want to throw out there. I do not believe. It's my opinion. He can't sue me, right? Because he's in prison. I Yes. It is my opinion that he does not sing those songs in those music videos. And I can give you an example of why I don't think that. It's because you hear him singing singing along. (laughs) Singing along (laughs) with his own music, driving in a truck, and he's not even singing in tune. I'm like, he did not write, perform, or record these songs. else agree with me that there's no freaking way he wrote and recorded those songs uh, yeah. <laughs> but, but who is the mystery singer look at the cast of characters that was there like let's take a
2: bet who is the mystery singer but the one armed person is it the guy from inside
3: edition is it <laughs> who could it be who but. is the singer Nobody else
0: can write those ridiculous songs but but out. but but, but, but. <laughs> can we
3: just agree that his music videos Are way better than Carol Baskin's music video.
1: Living beautiful, wild, and free. How beautiful, wild,
3: and free. And just like them I see. Okay, like we're gonna talk about Carol in a little bit. I just wanna hold off on the Carol thing, because it's a huge part of the conversation I wanna have. Was that not, was that video just, I'm sorry, Carol, I know you might be able to do this podcast, which we'll talk about, but was that video not completely bananas? Was, <laughs>
4: well, I'd say at least Carol wasn't in it. It's
3: true. <laughs> <laughs> it's true.
4: Carol didn't even hire a lookalike alike Good for you. A, yeah. Good for
3: you. And by the way, that lookalike that Joe hired... Looked oh like God. Carol, throwing yeah. the yeah. meat through the it's cage. Little... Oh. It, it was terrible. Like, the whole thing was criminal that he did that. But Jesus, did that woman look like Carol with
2: the uh, flower headband? Yeah. I don't even know what was going on.
0: So I just was going to kind of combine the last two things we talked about, which is his musical artistry, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> you know the whole thing with the gorillas and stuff. And that I just don't think he has much of a, a sense of empathy for anything. Agreed. Mm-hmm. And I and I think that that goes to animals, and it's, and I think it goes to people. And I think the fact that he's like playing original songs while dressed up as like some bizarre priest at his <laughs> husband's funeral, yeah. yeah. He's just like, <laughs> I, you know, I I don't think he connects with like what we consider to be normal sort of empathic feelings about other living things. And I think he feels a loss for himself without actually understanding the loss that that was for other people. Travis Um, Maldonado,
3: you mean, yeah.
0: Right. You know, upon further
4: reflection on that, gorilla scene I, you know you're right the reason he was emotional to begin with was because he was losing yes his animals yes which is all about him and
3: money mm-hmm.
4: and money and identity and everything else Narcissism and he's on the run attention right you know did that prime the pump for him to have a moment of real self-reflection when he came to looking at the grills perhaps Uh, But yeah, I'm not going to say that. uh, Yeah, he can't. He's not saying Paul now, but I thought it was a a really interesting moment.
2: Um, I want to do a quick fire around with everybody on the music videos. Who did the video better, Joe Exotic or Payne Lindsay?
3: Oh, Joe Exotic. exotic, 100%. The videos were not good, but they were at least watchable. They were better. They were better than the videos. I would probably Pain listen videos. to Payne Lindsay's
4: music. Though. I actually
3: think Joe Exotic's music, which was not sung or written by him, in my opinion. Is better than Payne Lindsay's music. That's just my opinion, Kevin. I have a question for you about Rick Kirkman.
4: That's the TV producer, right? Yeah. <laughs>
3: yes, who like lived at the zoo for years because he saw his ship coming in. Like this is going to be my dog, the Bounty Hunter, except yeah. with Joe Exotic. Except mm-hmm. Joe Exotic is like dog. Hold my beer, right? <laughs> he had this vision of this like very exploitative, uh, salacious reality show airing on like Animal Planet or whatever it would have aired on. Any? I don't
4: think CMT was.
3: Yeah, he had this whole vision of it. And he's not wrong. Like, shit like this is all over TV, right? He's not wrong.
4: Absolutely,
3: yeah. But he also, like, basically also made a Faustian deal where he's like, I get to live with you and make my show and build you this throne and do whatever. But I also have to now be the producer for your shitty, propaganda-filled, hate-filled, Carol Baskin-hate TV show. On the internet that you put on for forty people every day, Mm -hmm. what do you think of this guy?
4: I'm okay with Rick. I mean, I think I I certainly understand the idea. Like, if you want to be doing a reality show and be a producer and be that guy, that this is this fantastic topic, you know, because he is a you know unique character and and whatnot. You know, he says he you know he had video of things, you know, the 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 animals maybe being abused or things that he didn't want anybody to see. Because when he got into it with Joe. She's like, I've got video of everything.
3: Yeah. So does Joe, by the way. So- Because they cannot stop filming anything. Right. At that so
4: are, are Rick's hands completely clean? Can we be led to infer that he had video evidence of wrongdoing, that he was willing to let slide so long as he could get the TV show done? Yes. That's one way of looking at it, but I did feel bad as a professional to know that, like, his whole
1: year plus of work literally went up in flames. I got my dog, I, I got my truck, I left everything I owned. and I drove and I left and went back to Dallas. I had a complete nervous breakdown.
3: Yeah, and also that Joe like somehow recorded the phone call with his lawyer where they discussed burning the thing down. We we had what the hell? Re-
1: in my recording studio, and they don't have copies of it or anything. You see I'm
4: saying, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Look, we had Rick in the Joe Exotic podcast, yeah. right? And we knew that that's what happened, that he was shooting this reality show and it came to a you know this fiery end. But how, A, why do you, why do you, why do you, Joe, <laughs> <laughs> why do you videotape yourself or just for the audio tape with your lawyer talking about this to get the idea of, oh, okay, we should just burn everything down.
3: And how did they, how did they how 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 do
4: they get that?
3: All I know is that everything was taped all the time always. And it was like both and, and I did ask the producers this. I'm like, was it a gift or a nightmare to have all this tape? And Rebecca was like, "Oh, imagine logging not only your own 5 years of video, that your like co-producer is uh-huh. like making you shoot, but also 10 million hours of video because these guys just watch video cameras all the time. I just want to like add pivot to one thing because yeah. I think it's really important that was not present in the Joe Exotic podcast. Toby Ball. Yes. Doc Antle. I know you love cults. Mm. <laughs> Thoughts on this guy? Tiger Keeper Breeder. Obviously, well-to-do, managed to be above board with celebrities, make appearances on late-night talk shows, and can, like, put an outward-facing thing about, you know, professional zoo-keeping, which I totally call bullshit on, and is also 100% clearly leading a cult. What do you think about this guy?
0: Are you talking about the Bagaram? Yes. That's how I prefer to think of him.
3: (laughs) (laughs) The sex god, Toby.
0: (laughs) Like, it's kind of interesting in that there is this absolutely explicit connection between these big cats and sex. Yeah. Right? And it's like everybody except for the one guy who becomes Jeff's partner and is like doing the backhoe and then like leaves in a huff. Every other person is trying to hook up with people of the gender of their choice except for that guy and he wants to know how to do it because he's not being successful so I, i'm not quite sure how, what's going on with all that but that seems to be a definite strain that's running through this yeah yeah the bhagaram i don't know he seems like he's just like a much much slicker version right yeah with some money but otherwise it's it's essentially the same thing and as a matter of fact i think it's sort of more calculating and if the sort of rumor is true which is that when the tiger's get a little bit too big he gasses them and then cremates them on his on property crematorium which you know, so many of us have. <laughs> uh, yeah, he—he's—you he, know—he's just another super sketchy guy, and it's like, oh, you want to work here? Well, why don't you go get a boob job, and if you become one of my wives, you know, you'll—you'll you'll go up, and I'll get you this like little house, my little line of houses that I have for my wives.
1: If they wanted to get to the top really quickly. They should sleep with him. I certainly didn't want to
3: sleep with him, but I was thinking about it. And I'll tell you what to wear and I'll tell you what to weigh and I'll make you play the stupid drums.
0: Which is generally like these super tight like cat outfits and maybe even cat face makeup, uh, depending on your look. And then like swim around in your clothes with tigers in a pool. I mean, the whole thing is just bizarre. Like he's like the next step towards being a cult. And, you know, they basically say he got this idea while he was at an ashram somewhere and was like, oh, this looks awesome. Yeah. Mm. Plus tigers. So maybe I can get this going. It was so Raj. <laughs> it was so
3: like Rajneesh, wild, wild country. It was so that it was. He was making these deals with these women who were like, didn't have a lot of prospects. And it was like, like
0: wild, wild country meets Tarzan. Yes. <laughs> The only other thing, which I, and this is one of the things I thought that the filmmakers did do really well, is they would get these guys to talk as if they were the voices of reason in this situation. Yes, and they get them all to talk this way, except for Joe. I, you know, Joe is just like so out there that he probably thinks like he's talking like the voice of reason, (laughs) but it still comes off totally whacked. But all these other guys have their moments where they're like, you know, this is what the, the way the deal is. He seems like the one who feels as though he has the most authority, while he's just saying like complete bullshit. So that I, I thought the the uh, filmmakers did an excellent job getting those moments and then showing them to us.
3: I totally agree. Yeah.
0: Plus, he looks for football fans. I thought I kept thinking Boomer I looked hundred percent. Hundred
3: percent. Boomer Asay didn't meet Siegfried and Roy. Hundred percent. By the way, like Doc Antle is a shit bag for a hundred different reasons, and he actually is willing to show it when he's directing the directors. Yeah. which is crazy when he's like why don't you film me like this why don't I do this and you film me like this but the thing that makes me crazy is he's like we're doing a chimpanzee birthday party
0: well, I don't even know what a chimp birthday party
1: is yes you do it's exactly a five year old's birthday party it's got crappy little decorations we bought at a store, and it has uh, chimps who are going to be
0: hilariously happy about it, and if you got too close, they're going to tear your fingers off. Yeah,
3: they're totally going to rip off my faces, but we're doing this to make like a hundred bucks. Like, he just <laughs> does not have any morals whatsoever. Yeah. Laura, at the beginning of the show, I made a brief illusion, and I thought this the entire time I was watching, my very brief, like, two-year adult- equestrian phase where I decided to like ride dressage at a fancy barn for two years Mm -hmm. when I had like I don't know why I did that except for the fact I got drawn in it was the Doc Antle stuff like Mm -hmm. are these not horse people are they not (laughs) (laughs)
2: Yeah, there is. And I say this now, Ken says this all the time. He's like, horse people are crazy. We were cow people growing up. And we always said the horse people were crazy. And I will say, I mean, I the last time that I was really into riding, I found a barn that was like normal. And I'm like, this can't be right because these people aren't crazy because there's always something <laughs> drama yeah there's always some big drama or some like I remember like growing up because I grew up you know in a, a very uh, on a horse farm and, and I knew all these other horse people and they were all nuts like there was the one lady who had like peacocks and like you yeah. go to her house and you'd have to hide when you go to the car because the peacocks would chase you and then you'd go to the other lady's house and she had like the hundred year old lady who lived in her attic or something I mean and then they had all sorts the weird stuff going on, all the horse people. But for the most part, I will tell you, the horse people are much more sincere, I think. Um, maybe this is a bad characterization. But what I had a hard time with was sort of the mistreatment of animals of in this course. show. And I felt like horse people may be nuts, but their horses were taken care of, yeah. for the most part, for the people that I knew. And this, this show, like, I just could not take watching these animals the way that you know I just it was just awful and like the babies I just couldn't when when Joe was like "Ah, oh, they won't fucking shut up they cry I have to go out back and I'm like well don't take them away from their mother you Ugh. right anyway um, but you know there is something I think it's just an animal thing because I mean I obviously I am a crazy cat lady like my cats have been doing yoga with me since we've been um, trapped inside here of course they have Rocky Flintstone is a big yoga fan Um, We do yoga every day together. So I I am a little bit of a crazy animal person myself, but there's a limit. And um, when it becomes
4: your
2: your entire life like this, you know, if I had like 100 cats in my house, you guys might start to get a little worried about me, right? Totally.
3: Well, I just want to like, I'm sorry to like belabor the horse people thing. The the only thing comparison I want to make is the community. All of these big cat people know each other. They see each other at big they cat shows. Other. They have, yeah. they do dealings with each other. They sell each other big cats. Even the ones who ostensibly are friends and like each other talk shit behind each other's backs.
4: Set them up.
3: They set them up. They do all of this stuff. Can we just talk about Mario, please? <sighs>
1: Scarface.
3: This could have been a whole documentary in and of itself.
1: You know, I really didn't even do most of the stuff, but I, I carry the stigma of it. What am, I, what, what am I going to tell the feds now, or the judge? Your Honor, I did not shoot him, and I did not use the, the circular saw his neck. It was somebody else. What difference does it make? It's still there.
3: The guy who was allegedly, but I actually completely believe it after seeing him, the model for the movie Scarface... Who got into the drug trade to feed his big cat addiction? He and his wife, you know, he's got out of prison now because he like I guess became an informant or whatever. Mm-hmm. She opens the closet with all those tiny little monkey outfits, which yeah, is bananas. She, I
4: forgot about the monkeys.
3: <laughs> <laughs> but like Kevin Mario, could there not have been this whole every time they would turn to a new character, I'm like, this whole thing could be about just this person. Am I wrong?
4: No, <laughs> no, we did not get him in the uh, "Over My Dead Body" Joe Exotic podcast no, either. Because apparently, you got to know somebody
3: <laughs> to get in to see him, or spend five years making a documentary. You can
4: drive up, and the security guard says, "No, you can't come in." Uh, and eventually, they come in. Yeah, there is not a lack of colorful personalities, and you know, and that's something too that maybe we should just take a moment to talk about. Because I think this is a documentary that wants to be the blackfish of uh, big cat big ownership. Cats, yeah. Because there's a little bit of that in there. But how do you not do it about the personality? Focus on the people. The yeah. gravitational pull is so strong that you cannot ignore a Joe Exotic. And his run for governor.
3: And president.
4: And president. You know, if, if it wants to be one thing, it's just never going to be that. It is completely about the crazy lives of these people and their dysfunctional relationships with reality and each other.
3: All right. Well, that being said, it's time to make a hard left turn. We need to talk about Carol Baskin. Okay. Who is a huge character in both the podcast and this documentary. I, I'll tip my hand. Have very, very strong feelings about the way the documentary treated her and about Carol Baskin herself. My feelings are more mixed and I think more nuanced than they were even just a couple of days ago. Even when I interviewed the Netflix documentarians, like I went into it thinking something different than I feel now we have to talk about Carol. We hear in the podcast and in this documentary, she has this journey through several abusive relationships. She began as a cat collector, just like these bad guys, and then made a hard turn to become a person with a sanctuary and has her own following and her own social media genius and her own money, marries another guy with money. Like, she's a big character, and she's also basically placed... As a key villain for Joe Exotic,
1: I'm taking Carol on because everyone else is scared too. She has a lot of to do.
3: Toby Ball, what do you think of this documentary's treatment of the Carol Baskin backstory, in particular? the implication that she had something to do with the disappearance and probable death of her husband.
0: Yeah, I wasn't crazy about it, to be honest. I I, I sort of feel like there's a lot of innuendo thrown mostly at people who have a grudge against her, all the big cat guys, plus the guy's embittered ex-wife and her two daughters. So what's the theory that makes the most sense?
1: Well, there's no proof. I feel the one that would benefit the most from something happening to my father um, is Carol. She knows.
0: And then it just seems like the people who like are in a position to know a little bit more and don't really have an ax to grind either don't think she was involved or don't have a strong opinion. That's the lawyer and then the cop or the, I can't remember if he was a detective or police chief or whatever he was. In some ways, it seemed as though they were trying to set her up as being another person in this group of weird big cat people. Her situation seems a little different to me in that that was the one way that I think they tried to make her sort of on the same sketchiness level mm. that some of these other guys were. It's like, oh, she may have murdered her her uh, former husband. But they're, you know, they don't really bring anything that makes you think that she actually did, mm. as far as evidence. As far as, unless unless I was completely missing something, I was I walked away. I'm like, that's it's kind of crazy that you just let these people make these allegations. I, I think they're trying to create an equivalency that's not necessarily there. Oh, between Joe make,
3: and Carol to say like they're the same,
0: right? It's just like all those guys. I mean, I I mean Joe and Carol obviously were the biggest antagonists, but but even like Doc and Jeff and and all those guys. Like the stuff that they do that's super objectionable, she doesn't do. right. but they don't they don't bother making that point at all. Like that never comes up.
3: I just want to, like, put in a word in Carol's defense here. Like Joe and Carol being antagonists. It's funny that the documentary does frame them as like these key antagonists. Who's the podcast, by the way? Mm-hmm. There's a very strong case, I think, to make that Joe is the antagonist, and Carol is on defense. Like, The whole time. Like, a lot of the, like, suspicion around... I mean, the suspicion around her husband's disappearance did happen contemporaneously. We saw the news reports from when he disappeared, and we saw her name mentioned as a suspect. So I think it's fair to, like, play those clips and say at the time there were questions. Like, that's all very fair. But to sort of frame her as on the same level as Joe, as, as like, 50% participating in the fight, when you see the shit he did, like... Stealing her company's name and making it his company's name and stealing the logo. And she luckily has money. She has Howard, who was her.
4: He was an excellent troll.
3: Yes. And Howard is her secret weapon who's just like, babe, I'll be with you wherever you want to do to defend yourself. Like
4: Howard. I love let's Howard have
3: some champagne yeah. and shrimp cocktail fucking I like, love yeah, Howard <laughs> except for the super weird wedding photos which I need an explanation for I do love Howard but Howard Laura,
4: just he's just game for he's anything he's the bad yeah.
3: Howard is like the husband that every, you know like those memes it's like don't, I want some, don't
4: look at me wife and say that
3: it's like it's like I want someone who looks at me like that woman is looking at that burrito yeah. I want someone who looks at me the way that Howard looks at Carol let's just put it that way
4: babe I'm oh. right here <laughs> I'm what right i yeah.
3: Laura what do you think about the way that? Documentary sort of treats those allegations against Carol and her, you know, maybe role, which I think is very tenuous, in her husband's disappearance.
2: Well, you know, it's it's a tough one because it is is super mysterious to me that he's disappeared and there's never been anything any trace of him. I mean that that right off the the top is is like okay, where is this guy? And you know that's where my mind goes. And it was mentioned in the news when it happened, and and she was linked to it, and all these people, like you know, his ex wife and and daughters, they they did sort of you know come forward and point the finger, but it it just as it continued in this documentary the weight sort of flipped where it was like all the people pointing the finger at Carol. It kind of went over the top. And if you do step back and look at sort of Joe's role in that, like, I mean, he had a freaking inflatable woman doll that he's pretending is Carol that he's like shoving stuff in the mouth and like screaming at on his little movies that he's making. So it's like Clearly his role in this is not exactly a healthy role and it's not, it's kind of past a level of like, oh, hey, like, you know, whereas she's saying like, hey, you should check out how he's treating his animals. Like he's gone off like the total deep end with the inflatable doll and the videos and Uh, taking the logo and taking it on the road and the lawsuit and everything. Um, I don't know. But I I guess I just wished as it was going on where we were, you know, we were hearing so much from that side of things. I wanted to know more like, what do the authorities think happened to her her husband? Uh, You know, and I wanted a little bit because I wanted like an alternative theory as like, where the hell is this guy? Like, I mean, clearly something happened to him. Unless he's like living large somewhere in like, you know, South America or something, and we're just never gonna know. But I guess I wanted something to balance out the narrative that we were given.
3: Well, we actually have something to balance out that narrative, do we not, Kevin?
4: Yeah, and again, this is extra textual. So while not part of the documentary, for folks who are wondering, Carol did post a rebuttal on her website explaining a lot of these things. She did talk about, you know, the character of a lot of the folks. Who were quoted, and um, she did talk more about Don, which was that you know according to her post that he had dementia, that he was a hoarder, that uh, things were very difficult towards the end.
3: Those guys, people were grifters. People were surrounding him, who sort of like identified themselves as like close employees, were actually very much taking advantage of him, according to Carol. That she would, when he would go away on these trips, that she would clean things out routinely because she that was the only time she could throw things away. That These people would occasionally approach him and be like, Hey, you owe me two thousand dollars, and he would just peel off the bills and hand them to him, yeah. And that, um, and then a
4: half hour later, come back around and say, You owe me two thousand dollars, and he'd pay him again.
3: One of the things that was really telling to me was when she talked about, you know, how he was flying without a license, yeah, and like routinely would so crash his plane. No, that was in the documentary, oh, you're, okay, yeah. And it's like, everyone is like, Why would he say disappeared? And as well, I'm like because he's crashed his plane yeah. multiple times or the Mediterranean Sea Gulf And in the post, in the post she, does,
4: she does acknowledge that that is you know, a peculiar way to, to phrase that. But she insists that that was what Don wanted because part of his time was in Costa Rica and that Americans were being kidnapped, and I don't know how much is, you know. she. I mean, she doesn't deny that it looks, the optics of it aren't great.
3: I've had a lot of time to think about this. So I just want to say a couple things in potential defense of Carol. Yeah. When I was first interviewing the directors of this film for Netflix, the documentary tries to make this equivalency between the employment situation at Joe's place, where mm-hmm. he's basically getting people of nowhere else to go, paying them nothing and feeding them off a the dumpster. Yeah. And Doc Antle, who's indoctrinating young women, sleeping with them, telling them what to wear and like making them be his wives and also paying them nothing. And Carol's volunteer corps. Mm-hmm volunteers know they're volunteering. It's true. Right? Like, they're showing they up. They don't have
4: to show up. They're volunteering. They have other
3: places to live. So that's one thing that I've thought about more and changed right. and my way, mind on. By the that
4: scene was one day a year yeah. that happens. Yeah. It's not It's not around the clock. Yeah. Like oh, really? A, it could have become, yeah. Yeah. You were left with that impression, yeah, right? Yeah,
3: like, that it was like a pyramid scheme of volunteers. Yeah. yeah. The other thing I will employees. say is that, like, you know, the whole claim that she has all these cats, but you only see 12 of them on the tour... Like for an actual sanctuary, that's right. Like it's like some of the cats, maybe you're just living out their days in like a, pl- a pen or whatever, and like being fed or whatever. Like their life shouldn't be interacting with the public every day if it's truly a sanctuary. You and know, I have been to Kevin, yeah. real sanctuaries and like a real sanctuary. The population
4: is, like, is limited to the cats they can rescue.
3: Exactly. You know. Exactly. Anyway, so my feelings and about how about Carol the way or- that
4: she handles. Dead cats yeah, with a memorial plaque to each yeah. one of them. Yeah. Not, you know, a crematorium or whatever.
2: It's like it's like at the Clark's trading post when their bears <laughs> die. Have
3: you guys been up there? Yeah. Uh,
4: no. But Lara, can, can I talk about that? Because everyone yeah. got to weigh in on, yeah, yeah. on Carol. It's so like, I don't think there's any way to tell this story without going into Don's disappearance. Yeah. Right. You just you can't just say it oh. is
3: part of the story. And
4: she's the one with the lawsuit and her firm they thought someone said her former husband, you know, died and she fed him to the tigers. And anyway, moving on, <laughs> it'd be like Well, well what if, they, the if
3: they didn't acknowledge it, that would sound like they were covering it up.
4: Right. If they if they right, if they went over it but I you know, I did feel like the documentary talked to a lot of people, but they still only came away with innuendo. Yeah. And unless you're gonna get Madeline Barron out there <laughs> to really dig into that, <laughs> that's what you come away with. Now I think part of Carol's PR problem is that her affect is not what we think it would be. She has a nervous laugh and very kind of easygoing. So when she talks about her missing and presumed dead husband, she talks about it sort of in the same kind of affect as she does talking about the tigers and also, by the way, talking about someone trying to kill her. Yeah. Right. So she's not all over the place. So the fact that she doesn't talk about her missing husband the way that we think she should, and we talk about this all the time on this podcast. When a cops try to convict somebody about the way they acted like we are all over that shit and the same thing for the people saying oh she acted funny so she must have fed her husband to the tigers her that's meat grinder the part of the tiger oh yeah by so so the that, that meat grinder is one of those handheld like tabletop yeah you know there's just just too much innuendo and, like if she were raising horses yeah or border collies yeah or something like that It wouldn't be as irresistibly salacious as tigers. And what happened to the body? No one is going to say she fed him to the border collies.
3: It's much more likely if they're pigs, let's be real.
4: It's a fantastic, sensational story. It is, sorry to use the term, catnip (laughs) for the documentarians. You absolutely have to use it because otherwise it's a narrative crime to gloss over it. But I think the podcast put it in context- a little better, Hmm. and didn't walk away with it. everybody thinking she definitely fed her husband to the tiger.
3: Hello, cats and kittens. What do you think, Laura? Uh, Like I
2: said, I I felt like it was kind of weighted pretty heavily against her in the way that they framed the story of what happened. And she does come across as sort of like often like La La Catland a little bit. But I mean, like, I can relate to that because I'm in La La Catland too. wait,
4: wait, 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 wait. The phone just rang. It's the kettle.
2: wants <laughs> to talk to you, pot. That's, that's what I'm saying. Like, I can relate to this. So I, I, you know, when you watch the operation that she's got going on, where it's like she's got volunteers and they have their color uh, tier system for the people that are volunteering and that are helping out. And her volunteers aren't like looking like they're passing out after drinking like a bottle of vodka or whatever that other poor guy had going on. Um, it's a different type of operation. But I, you know, I guess I just sort of feel like I really wanted to hear the other side of the story in terms of from the police that were involved in her husband's disappearance, not just the ex-wife and the daughters and Joe Exotic. Who, I mean, come on! Like, I, I wanted to hear sort of what, what are the, you know, more from the authorities in terms of what what they had to say about what was going on.
0: The the only other thing about Carol that I wanted to talk about briefly is that. They have this thing, and I don't think they do it with Joe necessarily, but, but they do it with most of the other main characters, which is they do these slow motion shots of them that are supposed to be evocative of, like, who these people are. So when they show Jeff in slow motion, he's usually, like, sort of stalking around and seems like he's about to kick the shit out of somebody yep. mm. or something. Um <laughs> And with Carol, it's always like she has this sort of spaced out look on her face or she or seems kind of blissed out. And I think there's, a, you know, there's this effort made to make her look. Weird. Yeah. Kind, kind of weird and flighty and, and sort of out to lunch. Like this it seems like a very conscious choice that they're making to try and create an equivalence with Joe and to a lesser extent some of these other guys. I can understand why sort of narratively for the show, you might want to do that. But I think it's a reflection of the reality of the situation. It doesn't seem like super honest to me. Yeah,
3: I agree. And I'll tell you what I think that comes from. I think this is what happens when you spend five years filming people. I think they spent so much time with Joe and he had so many things to say about Carol that they felt obligated to try to show us as the audience, like, well, is is what Joe is saying, is there any weight to that? Is it true? Does it is it hold water? I mean, could she have killed her ex-husband? Could she actually also be running some sort of weird employment pyramid scheme? Could she also be mistreating animals? Like they, because they spent so much time with Joe and so much time with Doc, they felt obligated to flesh it out for the audience. Instead of – and I, I I believe they had good intentions. Like, I talked to the filmmakers, and Rebecca in particular was very defensive of Carol and doesn't believe that, you know, Carol is what Joe thinks she is uh, and is very empathetic toward her around her having survived this horrible situation. She was raped at, raped at knife point by – you know, as a teenager. She was, you know, mar- in these multiple abusive marriages and relationships – Uh, and really sees her as somebody with a vision who sort of came out on the other side and is like winning. But I do think they felt, it's like, Kevin, you say this all the time, when you're making a documentary, you're either lying to your subject or lying to the audience. Yeah, And I think they tried to play both sides of that. They wanted to tell the truth to their subjects and tell the truth to the audience, and they ended up doing a little bit of both to both sides, right?
0: right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, what you just described, her saying about Carol, Like, that basically does not make it to the documentary.
4: Yeah, I think the documentarians had an obligation to flesh it out because it is important to the story and to understand how Joe is trolling her. Yeah. But also, I think their obligation wasn't to leave it hanging. Right. If they couldn't find anything to deliver, then they had to be more explicit about that because a lot of people are on with their memes about... She 100% killed her husband yeah, and fed him yeah. the tigers.
3: Yeah. And by the way, so Joe trolls Carol and now Jeff is trolling Joe. Right. Which is so interesting to sort of see, you know, I don't know if we're supposed to feel sympathetic that Joe is in prison, whether or not this murder for hire thing was real or sort of half-assed. Like, I don't know. For me, that was like the weak part. Like, who cares if that's real or half-assed? Like, there's a huge part of me that's like, it could have been election finance crimes it could have been cruelty to animals it could have been anything any of the many things that this guy did but the idea that like you know joe trolled carol and then jeff trolled joe and we're supposed to just feel bad for joe at the end yeah it feels <laughs> bad for joe <laughs> oh, here, here, here.
4: mama's got some treats for you In the
3: zoo. Oh, keeps... So, can we just talk about what I see as like two very key moments of filmmaking here that I personally would think were, were handled super well?
0: Mm-hmm.
3: One was we hear in the podcast, and also we see in the documentary an employee of Joe's arm was ripped off. Oh my God. While on the job.
1: The arm is completely gone. We do not have time to wait. So get your guardian. Get everything out of the out of the driveway. Get, get me a stretcher. Have a
3: gun. And the second one is Joe's second husband Travis's death by accidental discharging of a weapon, or maybe suicide. It's not a hundred percent clear.
1: I knew he was dead the second he pulled the trigger, but at the same time, I didn't. You know, I thought it was a joke. Because, you know, Travis was a jokester. He was a prankster. He liked to play pranks on people.
3: I think the documentary handles both of those things, for which there is film. Personally, I think they handle them very well. What do you think, Kevin?
4: Yeah, and I'm speaking specifically here to the editing and the framing of this video, because the raw video is probably something very different, but what they chose to show was both powerful and yet responsible, I thought. You have the accident with Saf, and while they don't zoom in on blood and a missing arm body part, they do show him being wounded and the people taking care of him and the urgency around it. And so I thought that was an excellent way of showing that. And while Travis was never in the frame of that security video, they do see Josh and they focus in on Josh. And his reaction when the gun went off, it was it was a complete freeze frame. So And you powerful. thought it was a freeze frame, except you walked could not stop watching the time code. Tick, tick, he's not moving. Tick, he just had his hands on his face and was frozen, and it was like at least that for 10 or 15 seconds. He was super powerful without being graphic at all. So very good. A lot of a lot of places would mishandle that.
3: So Toby, one of the questions I have, Kevin just made a, a case for good taste of the filmmakers. However, we do see Saf in this entire film being filmed surrounded by trash, we also see the other employee of Joe Exotic, who is a, you know, credible talking head through much of the documentary, one of the zookeepers feeding the animals, lamenting their lack of enough of food, et cetera. At the end of the documentary, you see him very strung out, probably on drugs, maybe alcohol, basically collapsing during an interview. Do you think there were poor choices made in sort of portraying the sort of downtrodden characters in this documentary?
0: Well, I think there's two different situations. So the one with Saf, I think that's interesting is how do you frame people to talk about where they work when where they work is really sort of squalid? Yeah. So that didn't really bother me too much. And he seems so comfortable there, (laughs) quite honestly. Like he seems so relaxed when he's talking. That that didn't really bother me too much. I, I found him to be one of the two or three most sort of relatable and normal people. Wait, in the wait, wait, wait. Toby,
3: are you saying that if your employer created a situation in which your arm got ripped off, you would instead of saying, It was my bad work conditions, immediately defend your employer, say Go ahead, just cut off my arm and then be back at work five days later. Is that what you're saying? That's relatable?
0: My biggest thing, and it was derived from Joseph, he said, our mission is to give these animals a fighting chance. So I knew if I stayed in that hospital, the media wins. Uh, No, I'm not saying that every single thing that he did is a choice I would personally make. I'm saying that... In conversation, he seemed to have a sort of a clear-eyed understanding of what was going on, and even that decision to like take my arm off was made within a context of you know understanding what not doing that would mean for the park, uh, which I thought was kind of interesting, and I I think that's a lot different than when they talk to you know the guy who's like the head zoo guy uh, with the long hair, and he's he he literally cannot sit up straight. He's sort of listing off to a side. And then when he tries to straighten up, like falls over backwards, it is basically mumbling. That seemed questionable to me. Uh, and I get the fact that you're trying to show sort of the fallout of, of, of all of this on the people who are involved. And again, I he, he came across as, you know, in that environment, a person who I think was trying to do the best he could for the animals and the people in that situation. But it was it was it was super troubling, and I I found it disturbing. I don't really know what it added to our understanding of of him because you already got the sense that he was living hard. So I don't know. I guess it's two different things. I, I didn't mind the thing with Saf. I, I it did bother me with the long haired guy.
3: All right, well, let's do what we do. Let's go around the horn. Do you think our listeners should watch Tiger King on Netflix, or should they skip it, or should they maybe give it a try and decide for themselves? Uh-huh. Laura Bricker, I'm going to start with you. Thumbs up or thumbs down for the Tiger King on Netflix, potentially the most buzzworthy multipart multi-part documentary coming out on that platform in the last year. What do you think, Laura Bricker? Uh, yeah, I am
2: giving thumbs up for this. Um, you know, this is like perfect pandemic watching, because the world in the Tiger King is even more bizarre and hard to believe than the world that we're currently living in. So it's a little bit of an escapism moment for all of us right now. And um, the people that are involved in the story, like each one is more bizarre than the last. They don't even seem real. And yet they are. And I mean, watch it for nothing else if to watch the music
3: videos. Seriously.
0: Um, <laughs> <laughs>
2: I'm
3: just going to say. Toby what about you? Thumbs up or thumbs down for The Tiger King on Netflix?
0: I, I give it a thumbs up. I mean, it's, it's super entertaining. It's stranger than fiction. I mean, it, it really sort of lives up to that. Uh, I guess, and, and as you've probably picked up on, if you've listened to this whole thing and if you haven't listened to this whole thing, I would just practice your like critical thinking skills as you're going through it and understand that, that there's definite decisions that are being made. Yeah. Um, and I don't think they're all good, but that doesn't detract from just sort of the general quality and interest in, in the story. Yeah, it's just, it's it's totally bonkers.
3: Kevin Flynn, what about you? Thumbs up or thumbs down for The Tiger King on Netflix?
4: I am a thumbs up. I think it is incredibly entertaining and somewhat troubling as far as maybe being irresponsible in some places. It's a little thin on what was probably its uh, reason for being, which was to look at this trade and the dangers and evils of it, and instead got sidetracked by this dumpster fire of (laughs) a subculture, but it is impossible to not be interested in that dumpster fire. Um, So for those reasons, we're still in the spoiler-free part, but I thought the very, very ending Joe's Revenge was sort of less like a reveal and more like a surprise that didn't fit with the rest of everything else. But in any event, uh, I think that if you're only watching Hulu, you need to go get your Netflix subscription and watch.
3: Yeah. I actually think The Tiger King is essential watching, so I'm going to give it a thumbs up. I do think it's flawed in that it. You know, decides to take Joe's point of view and flesh out much of the other parts of the story through that lens. I think Carol Baskin was somewhat mistreated in the documentary. And I just want to say for the record that if you listen to my interview with the directors of this on Netflix, like I may sound like I haven't quite gotten there yet because I hadn't. The more I think about this, the more troubled I am by the treatment of Carol Baskin in it. But it is beautifully made in every other regard. I do think the mistreatment of animals, the fact that there are more, get this, Kevin, more tigers captive in the United States Mm -hmm. in private collections in these shitty zoos than there are in the wild in the whole world. That is insane, Mm. especially when you see the way that they're treated, especially these poor cubs who are trotted out for petting in malls. And I'll just say, if you ever go on vacation somewhere and someone walks down a beach with a baby monkey on their shoulder and asks you to pet it and take a photo, you are participating in this kind of trade. I just want to tell you, any trade where you are subjected to a baby animal and you want to do it because it's cute and makes a great photo, you are subjecting yourself to this kind of trade. Don't do it. That should be your takeaway. That being said, this film is bonkers, enjoyable, mistreats Carol Baskin. I still give it a thumbs up. And now it's time for my favorite part of the podcast, a little something I like to call the crime, crime of the week. Of the week. A masked robber tried to hold up a small store in Birmingham, England this week, but he didn't get far. The shopkeeper didn't fend the thief off with pepper spray. He used a handful of chili powder. Security video shows the owner throwing a big clump of the spice in the robber's face, exploding into an orange cloud of southwestern goodness. The criminals stumbled away in a well-balanced haze of dried pepper, garlic, and onion flavors. Curiously, the shopkeeper wasn't keeping the copious amounts of chili powder by the cash register to make tacos or chili con carne. He actually keeps a tub filled with gallons of chili powder for self-defense. That is one way to avoid a big poblano. Laura Bricker,
2: what do you think about this crime of the week? Thoughts? Um, I think this is one way to encourage social distancing. Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, I'm just going to say, when you're at the grocery store and you're in the checkout line and someone is not respecting that distance and
3: you're starting to feel a little antsy, chili powder nice yeah. Toby Bo what about you what are your thoughts about the shopkeeper just keeping a big vat of chili pepper next to the cash register to fend off robbers
0: I hope he has some sour cream eye wash. yes <laughs>
3: Kevin Flynn what about you thoughts
4: I think that uh, he should have been using a jalapeno
3: pepper mm.
4: because then it would have been all jalapeno face
3: <laughs> <laughs> all right so if you had it on that note before we do Lara Bricker do we have a cat of the week this week? Yes, we do. Hold a small me. cat? We have some dogs
2: because, as you know, um, well, so Arnold Schwarzenegger, I continue to watch him. The dog I've been most obsessed with this week is Pluto, who has some advice for the 2 leggeds. If nobody's seen Pluto, you need to look him up. But one of our listeners, Sue Hill, who has been like my new constant friend on Twitter, always there. Sue is in Toronto. And all, she says, as of today, all parks, including off-leash dog parks, are closed. So it's uh, leash walking until we get to the hydro field, the new normal. And her dogs, are very cute little dogs, have little um, jackets on. So I inquired more about the dogs. And it's this has made me kind of broke my heart. Stringbean and Beamer, they are therapy dogs. And they love to visit seniors in long-term care facilities. But now they can't do that as of the last uh, two weeks. And they love that she's home all day. They would love running around freely as Buddy. That's my dog does. And they're very cute. She sent a picture of her dogs with a little person, a little elderly lady in a wheelchair. And the dogs look very, very cute.
3: Lara Bricker, who people want to submit their cats or dogs or dogs or dogs to you to be Cat of the Week, how can they find you on Twitter?
2: At Lara Bricker.
3: And Toy Ball well, folks want to reach out to you and say congratulations on your UFO podcast finally making a landing and abducting us all how can they find you on twitter
0: uh they can find me at NH, but i quickly just want to say two things one is to make a book recommendation yes uh if you want to read about tigers in the wild mm-hmm. there's a really really good book called the tiger by john Valiant. Mm-hmm. but it's it's basically about how people who live in siberia now and how they're like really actually in competition with these Siberian tigers, which are just these massive animals with this huge range Uh, and also I I know there must be people listening to this who are sick or know people who are sick and I, I think all of us are, are thinking about you guys and just hang in there. It's, it's a tough time.
3: And Kevin Flynn, folks want to reach out to you and say, like, hey, Kevin, sorry you have to go after Toby Ball after he said that super empathetic thing. How can they find you on Twitter?
4: At Kevin P. Flynn.
3: And if you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, we love all of you listeners. We're sorry for everything that any of you might be going through. You can find me at Reb Lavoie. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Crime Writers On. And I encourage you strenuously to join our amazing community and our official it's Crime Writers On Facebook Discussion Group. We also have a regular old Facebook page, by the way, which is pretty awesome right now. Support the show on patreon.com slash partners in crime media. You will get all of our content there. The Crime Writers On After Show, Married With Podcast, Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club Podcast, and Lara Bricker's Leave It to Bricker Podcast. Our theme song was performed by the New York Scott Jazz Ensemble and used with permission. Our editor is the very handsome and newly bearded Henry Lavoie. Our social media and newsletter maven is Meredith Plunk. It, soon to be mom and hero of my life this show was recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in bay st louis mississippi studio otherwise known as studio c the closet in a new hampshire basement where we hang all of our tiger print clothing on behalf of all the crime writers thanks so much for listening we will catch you later, later. and kevin if folks want to reach out to you and say like, hey, Kevin. Sorry, you have to go after Toby Ball after he said that super empathetic thing. How can they find you on Twitter? Uh, <laughs> sorry,
4: you may get the fart thing.
3: How can they find you on Twitter? I'm at. <laughs> 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 what is All right. Sorry, <laughs> so I'm going to say the whole thing again. <laughs> and so, Kevin, if folks want to reach out to you on Twitter and say, "Hey, I'm sorry you have to had to," I'm sorry you had to go after Toby Ball after he said that beautiful thing, and just say your Twitter handle. How can they find you on Twitter? I'm at these nuts. These dots. <laughs> oh,
4: I can't you say.
3: <clears throat> Where are you actually at?
4: You hold my junk.com. Oh, <laughs> Partners in, in crime
1: media. media.